The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 115. The short story at the end of the episode is 8 out of 9. That is from 25 Perfect Days plus 5 more. Narrated by my buddy David Thompson. Uh, Kind of a fun story. I don't have a lot of stories with female protagonists, but this one does have one. So, actually 25 Perfect Days, I think I did a decent job of having female uh, protagonists. Um... My later stuff, maybe not as much. It's always a little bit harder to tap into the female persona. Um, that's why with uh, China to Die in Brightside, I brought on Donna Gonzalez. She helped me develop the character, made it a little bit more realistic, I think. So, uh, but I do try to write female characters whenever possible. Oh, man, I'm jet lagged. Uh, we flew in from California last night. Right now we're in New York. I'm sitting in a closet because there is nowhere quiet to record this. Uh, but it will work. Uh, tomorrow I have a podcast with someone in Germany. I forget the name of his podcast, but uh, Lucas Homan. I'll be recording with him tomorrow, and that should be out the following week. Then I'll have Lucas on my podcast a little bit later. But that should be a fun little podcast. Oh, man. Yeah, but yesterday's traveling wiped me out. Um, going through LAX it was interesting. One, it was interesting being around people again. Um, first time flying with the family since pandemic started, so that was a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, not too bad, though. Um, but going through LAX, they had a... I thought it was a drug-sniffing dog that they were making everyone go through. So I was a little bit worried. I'm like, damn. I was like, is he going to detect cannabis? Is cannabis considered a drug still? Are they looking for it? I knew most people, a lot of people in there probably had it on them, and so probably, probably wasn't a concern. But I was a little nervous walking through but later found out they were just looking for explosives although how many people actually try to get explosives on an airplane i don't know the whole uh, all that stuff is a little a uh, little overkill a little too much but whatever uh don't feel like getting into that right now like i said i'm a little tired just don't want to get into it i uh, got a lot of writing done on the plane yesterday which was awesome I tore apart uh, the death scenes from Trying Not to Die at Death Fest. Now, a lot of people might think, well, oh, wow, they must have been terrible. Like, if anyone saw my pages, they'd be like, these pages must have been awful beforehand. But they weren't. They We'd already gone over them. They were good senses. They told a good little story. But there's always opportunity to destroy sentences, to make them into something much, much better, to make it more realistic, more clear, uh, just better. And so, you know, I have to give them to Glenn. I'll type it all up if I could make out my notes. Um, but yeah, for any outsider looking at it, be like, oh my God. Uh, but I tell people all the time, like, hey, I do that to my drafts, like six, seven, eight, nine drafts in. I'm still tearing them apart. Then an editor is going to look at it. They're going to tear it apart even more, give it back to me, and then I'll still find stuff. So there's always room to improve with your writing. Um, definitely don't want to write a short story and think you're done with it like you can let it sit for a while and when you go back to it with fresh eyes you're like oh i want to change this i want to change this how can i make this better how can i make this sound better and so that's what i enjoy doing so i spent half the flight working on those pages the other half i did uh the first short story in tales of the blessed and broken act 
2. I've already completed uh, Jaime's, uh, Heimdall, he's the first character. I have nine short stories of his already pretty much wrapped up. I'm going to have to, I'll fine tune them after I finish uh, these other ones. But then I have nine short stories for Lucas. They're already fairly plotted out. Now it's just a matter of knocking them out. So yesterday on the plane, I knocked out the first one. I didn't type it up. This is all handwritten. Um, and then I want to do one a day uh, and try to get through all 18. So the other seven, the other eight of Loki's, Lucas, and then nine of um, this guy, Vince, and who comes after. That's the third act. <clears throat> and so uh, I won't type all those up until after, but if I could get them all on paper, that would be a huge start. And even if I don't finish, I mean, it's still going to be a huge amount of work that I'm getting done in a small amount of time. It's a nice change from having to spend so much time on the brain book. All I've been doing the last week or so is fine-tuning the brain book, so uh, getting it ready for the print copy, the advanced copy, and the electric copy, so I can send it out to reviewers. That's going to be the important thing right now. That's what I really need to be focusing on, so that is what I'll do. But while I'm working on that, that's my main focus. My secondary focus is going to be the trend to dies and developing the Tales of the Blessed and Broken early years so a lot of cool stuff a lot of cool stuff headed um you know to do um right now it's a little tough because we're just here for the weekend don't have a lot of plans i think today we're gonna go do like dave and busters and a couple things like that i'm not really tourists never been much into that going and seeing stuff i was like eh, i'll see it online not much of a difference i'd rather not be around crowded places not driving not dealing with any of that stuff once we get to Rhode Island, I'll feel a little bit more comfortable, drive around, uh, gonna go to different gyms. Almost made the mistake of bringing jiu-jitsu clothes. Uh, at first, I, when I hurt myself two weeks ago, I told myself, I was like, eh, I'm not gonna train, no way. Uh, this makes it easy, I won't have to bring gear with me. Then my wife got hurt, I was like, oh, definitely, neither one of us is gonna train. But then I was writing to people saying, hey, who's up for a podcast, blah, blah, blah. And guys respond to me saying, hey, come down and train first and then we'll do a podcast part of me thinks i was like okay yeah i could do that i could be safe i could be you know even if it's just barely going through the motions or whatever else i could be safe uh so i gathered my stuff took it upstairs to pack it and then my wife saw him and she's like oh well i could do the same you know it's just my ankle and i'll be safe and she talked me into it and started gathering her stuff and i thought about it I was like that's so ridiculous like my knee is not ready like it it's a little unsteady just walking around the airport so how do i think i'm going to train with it like what kind of training am i going to get out of it um and odds are that i will probably mess it up even more and same with her ankle or and my neck so it's like you know what we just got to stay off the mat until we are healed up that might take a while i know it's frustrating i know it's um it's hard to wait you know it's fun to train you know i want to do it. it's a great way to connect with people to get out aggression to just i don't know to have exercise but I told her we are not doing that. So we're going to be old people. Um, one cool thing, though, Pete Jeffrey from Triforce MMA, <clears throat> I've interviewed him before a couple times. Uh, he ran, I don't know if he still has it, but the grappling and mixed martial arts at Brown University, he was running that. Uh, awesome black belt. Trained with him several times. <clears throat> really liked their gym. Um, I told him I wanted to redo his interview and do a podcast with him. And... Uh, but then I also realized since I can't be training, <clears throat> I will have him teach me some music because he's a music instructor. I was like, why not get better at uh, 
guitar. I think his specialty is bass, but we go over a lot of music theory. I like playing bass as well, and any kind of learning will help me. So this will be a way that, because I haven't done private lessons on guitar. I've just been trying to teach myself, but I know that's what I need. I will learn so much more. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, so that'll be cool. We'll do a little podcast about that, let you know how the music lessons are going. And uh, yeah, so... All right, guys, I'm going to wrap this up because we are going to go to Dave and Buster's, play some video games, do some fun stuff, get eat some unhealthy food, all that good stuff. And I will leave you with this short story. This is 8 out of 9, narrated by my buddy David Thompson. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the story. Have an awesome week, and I will talk to you guys later. Peace. Eight out of nine, December 17th, 2056. Vanessa entered the waiting room. The door slammed shut behind her. The lock clicked. Four rows of girls turned as one to see the new girl. Vanessa clutched the faded gray robe to her chest and slipped into the last row of blue plastic chairs. The center's oversized slipper slapped the tiles, as she made her way past trembling knees. She didn't look at their faces, giving them the privacy she so desperately wanted. Halfway down the road, two girls clutched each other's hands. Vanessa wondered if they knew each other before today. The coarse robe scratched her bare flesh. Vanessa hurried and sat down on the last chair against the wall. The girl two seats down whispered something like hello. Vanessa nodded and stared at the sweet fourteen slip in her hands. Her bright red fingernails were chipped. She needed to touch them up before she returned to work. This was the first time she'd rather be at her job. The crumpled card had her information printed on the front and the penalty for not appearing on the back. She tried to steady her hands, search for some loophole, a mistake she missed or a word they got wrong. This was the first piece of mail she'd ever received, the only one that would ever matter. Eight out of nine. Those were the odds every girl was given. The rectangular waiting room had no windows, the walls the color of a gray winter sky. The door she'd entered was behind her and locked. The massive metal door they'd all eventually walk through was directed in front of them. Vanessa tried not to think of the things taking place on the other side. She'd never seen the inside of a slaughterhouse, but that's what she pictured. Her father had told her stories before he died. He worked in one back when it was still safe to eat meat. He always said he felt sorry for the helpless creatures. It was like they knew what was coming, the way her parents must have felt the last time they went to the DMV. Vanessa tried to remember her father's face. It used to be so clear in her mind. She only knew her mother from the faded picture her father carried in his wallet. Part of her wished they were in the other room, with the rest of the parents, all anxiously waiting to take home their little girls. But another part was glad they weren't around to see this. Large red letters scrolled on a continuous loop around the electronic display box above the steel door. Joanne Weaver. Vanessa wondered if Joanne was already on the other side of the door, or if she was here waiting, cowering in her chair, clutching the last shred of hope they'd forget her 
and move on to the next girl. Vanessa looked around the room for Joanne. Every girl was different. None fat, but all degrees of skinny. Some were pale and ugly. Others a little beautiful, even though they were crying. One girl with blonde hair just kept smiling. Vanessa wondered if the girl's mother had told her they might pass her over if she looked pretty. There were dark-skinned girls and blue-eyed girls. There were tall ones and every shade of hair. But while every girl was different, every girl was the same. Some hid the fear better, but no one wanted to be here, not on her birthday. Vanessa used to look forward to the little party her father and uncle would give her. They never had money, but they'd sing and split a stick of gum. When she turned eleven, Vanessa's uncle took her to a field to shoot tin cans with a particle pistol. Vanessa hated the whirring noise it made when it was charging, but it made her giggle when the tin can would evaporate. That was the last year girls had options, back when the controllers actually paid those who volunteered. The box above the door chimed, and a mechanical voice said, Michelle Jackson? A homely girl in the front row stood before her name finished scrolling across the display box. Her legs shook, but she held her head high as the metal door slid open and the guard, clad in black, entered the room. He was tall with a shaved head and thin goatee. He grabbed Michelle's card and studied it. Vanessa eyed his electroprod and shiny particle pistol. It looked nothing like the old-fashioned one she'd fired with her uncle. She didn't understand why a man twice Michelle's size needed a weapon at all. With those giant hands, he'd kill her with one punch. Michelle walked through the door, her head still held high. Vanessa hoped she'd be just as brave when her name was called. If Michelle had been attractive enough to find a decent husband who could support a family, would she still have been so quick to get up? Maybe Michelle never dreamed of being a mother, even though Vanessa had never met her own. She always thought one day she'd have a kid, do all the things she could only imagine growing up, like story time or learning to put on lipstick. The woman who taught Vanessa told her to cake it on so men wouldn't focus on her wide nose. The girl two seats down was suddenly next to her, tapping on her leg. Vanessa hadn't realized she was shaking, not from cold, not from fear, but out of anger. The controllers had taken everything. Her mother. Her father. This was all she had left, and it'd be gone in the next fifteen minutes. Relax, the girl said gently. They say it doesn't hurt. Vanessa stared at the girl's hand, the bright red fingernail polish, a clear sign they were both in the same line of work. Vanessa always told herself she was better than the others. She had her uncle to care for. All she had in common with the girl next to her was a birthday and the same shitty luck. The speaker called another name. When no one stood, the speaker blared the name again. Karen Chen, stand up. The tiny girl seated in the second row shot up, beautiful black hair halfway down her back. She wavered slightly, looking like she might faint when the door slid open and the guard walked toward her. Karen screamed as they dragged her through the door. The girl next to Vanessa said, It's for the best. My sister just had a kid. She lowered her voice and said, 
She refused to give him to the way. Now she's got to come up with 500 a month for the orphanage until he's adopted. Believe me, this is better. Vanessa nodded, trying to force herself to believe that was true. If she ever got pregnant, she knew she'd sacrifice everything. She'd be a good mother. Her dad always told her that. Said Vanessa had the same heart as the woman she never knew. The box chimed again, and the speaker buzzed to life. Vanessa Salazar? A hiss of static, then nothing. Vanessa's name scrolled across the box in red letters. The speaker squawked her name again. Vanessa bit her tongue. She wouldn't yell or cry or let them see the fear. She could hold on to that. The door slid open. The guard that had taken the other girls away appeared in the doorway, his cold eyes searching the room. If he wanted to take her, he'd have to come and physically rip her from the seat. Vanessa wanted him to grab her. She'd claw his eyes, rip out his throat and escape. She was small, and he'd underestimate her, not ready for the fury raging inside. The guard called her name. Vanessa wanted to rush him, but that only worked if the rest of the girls would follow. There were enough, but if she called them to arms, she knew most wouldn't budge. She needed the element of surprise. She'd wait until the prick was inches away. Population control cards out. Names up, he ordered. The guard walked down the first row, read each girl's slip. At the end of the second row, he got on his transmitter. Barnett here. I'm going to need Williams. Barnett grabbed another card, read it, and shoved it back to the girl. Halfway down the third row, Vanessa could see his forearm muscles twitching, the excitement in his eyes. He lived for someone to resist. Dragging innocent girls into the back, sticking his hands underneath their robes, having his way with them. Why else would he work here? Barnett moved down her row. His hand rested on the butt of his pistol. She tried to remember what her uncle had taught her. Arms locked, shoulders square, but he never taught her how to disarm anyone, and if she couldn't get it from him, the prick would kill her. Vanessa no longer cared. She'd be with her parents. She'd never have to go back to work. Her uncle would understand. She kept telling herself that even as the images of him starving to death fired off in her head. Gasping, too weak to even take his own life. The guard stopped in front of her chair. Turn over your card. Vanessa stared straight ahead. He ripped the card out of her hands and waved over the fat guard walking through the doorway. Barnett pointed at the display and asked Vanessa, Are you deaf? She shook her head not understanding why she couldn't move her arms and go for the gun. Then get up. Vanessa couldn't. She tried to stand, but her legs felt like they were filled with cement. Williams walked over, knelt in front of her, his eyes surprisingly soft. Look, Vanessa, you have to get up. There's no choice. She's not getting up. Grab an arm. Give me a second. Williams lowered his voice and whispered, if you don't stand up, they'll make us use force. And if you fight, they're going to do what it says on the back of your card. Trust me, you don't want that. Vanessa didn't believe his kindness. It was a trick. His eyes were probably always watery. 
No one cared about her, at least not in this place. Just walk with us, he said. You'll barely feel it. Barnett tapped Williams, who finally got up and moved to the left. They each took hold of her arms. Their fingers dug into her flesh. They yanked her from the chair, dragging her toward the door. She opened her mouth to shriek but couldn't make a sound. Pretending like he wasn't enjoying her terror, Williams grunted and told Barnett, You still wonder why I'm transferring to the prison? The tips of Vanessa's slippers bent backward on the tiles as they neared the door. They crossed the threshold and the door slid shut, her body suddenly awake. She'd been mistreated by men, but never like this. She felt their hands loosen. They thought they were safe. Vanessa flung herself from their grip. Barnett grabbed her by the hair, reached for the electroprod on his belt. You better relax. Vanessa spun, the hairs ripping from her scalp. She launched a knee at his groin, heard the crunch. He let go of her and dropped to the floor, but Williams was right behind him. Vanessa took one step back and braced herself for his attack. Williams stepped toward her. Hey, let's calm down. Vanessa ran at him and raked his face with her fingernails. Her fingers found a chain around his neck and ripped it off when he pushed her away. The crucifix at the end of the chain hung in the air for only a moment before Vanessa snatched it and plunged the long end into William's cheek. William screamed, one hand on the cross, the other reaching for Vanessa. Vanessa ducked under his arm, flipped the tab, and ripped the pistol from his holster. Barnett was back on his feet, the buzzing prod in hand. Drop the gun, he said, or I'm going to have fun with you. Vanessa backed against the wall, the gun aimed at Barnett's chest. There was a hallway to the right. She inched her way over, her thumb fumbling for the safety. It wasn't where it had been on her uncle's pistol. Finally, she found it. Whirring filled the air. Barnett's hand moved toward his own pistol. Do it and I'll shoot, Vanessa said. Barnett's hand steadied, hovered over his pistol. Vanessa's gun was fully charged. She couldn't tell what Barnett was going to do, but then his eyes narrowed. There was no way he'd let her go. His thumb slowly flipped open the tab, and Vanessa squeezed. The force shot her back, nearly sent her to the ground. When she opened her eyes, she saw Barnett's arm vanish under his sleeve. He flailed and slammed against the gurney. She turned, saw the emergency exit down the hall. Barnett's scream cut through the buzzing in her ears. Vanessa passed a small room with a tray of sharp instruments. The girl on the table with her legs in stirrups, ankles strapped down, towel stuffed in her mouth. There wasn't enough time to save her. She heard other guards coming. Williams called out to her. He'd pulled the cross from his cheek. Blood poured from the gaping hole. You can't run forever. Vanessa shot the lock off the emergency exit and kicked open the door. I can try. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 